16. See the financial conference in Paris shall be a brief one, but I am afraid my right honorable friend assume that we are all endowed with the extraordinary gift of compression which he himself possesses. Laughter. The arrangements that were made between the three ministers for recommendation to their respective governments commit us to heavy engagements, and it island therefore, important I should report them in detail to the house, and find some reason why we should undertake such liabilities. This is the most expensive war which has ever been waged in material, in men, and in money. The conference in Paris was mostly concerned with money. For the year ending December 31st next the aggregate expenditure of the Allies will not be far short of L2.000.000.000. The British Empire will be spending considerably more than either of our two great allies probably up to L100.000.000 to L150.000.000 more than the highest figure to be spent by the other two great allies. We have created a new army, we have to maintain a huge navy. We are paying liberal separation allowances. We have to bring troops from the ends of the earth, we have to wage war not merely in Europe, but in Asia, in North. East, and South Africa. I must say just a few words as to the relative position of the three great countries which led us to make the arrangements on financial matters which we recommend to our respective governments. Britain and France are two of the richest countries in the world. In fact, they are the great bankers of the world. We could pay for our huge expenditure on the war for five years, allowing a substantial sum for depreciation, out of the proceeds of our investments abroad. France could carry on the war for two or three years at least out of the proceeds of her investments abroad, and both countries would still have something to spare to advance to their allies. This is a most important consideration, for at the present moment the allies are fighting the whole of the mobilized strength of Germany, with perhaps less than one-third of their own strength. The problem of the war to the allies is to bring the remaining two-thirds of their resources and strength into the fighting line at the earliest possible moment. This is largely though by no means entirely, a question of finance. Russia is in a different position from either Britain or France. She is a prodigiously rich country in natural resources about the richest country in the world in natural resources. Food, raw material she produces practically every commodity. She has a great and growing population, a virile and industrious people. Her resources are overflowing and she has labor to develop them in abundance. By a stroke of the pen Russia has since the war began enormously increased her resources by suppressing the sale of all alcoholic liquors. Cheers. It can hardly be realized that by that means alone she has increased the productivity of her labor by something between 30 and 50 percent. Just as if she had added millions of laborers to the labor reserves of Russia without even increasing the expense of maintaining them. And whatever the devastation of the country may be Russia has more than anticipated its wastage by that great act of national heroism and sacrifice. Cheers. The great difficulty with Russia is that, although she has great natural resources, she has not yet been able to command the capital within her own dominions to develop those resources even during the times of peace. In time of war she has additional difficulties. She cannot sell her commodities for several reasons. One is that a good deal of what she depends upon for raising capital abroad will be absorbed by the exigencies of the war in her own country. Beyond that the yield of her minerals will not be quite as great, because the labor will be absorbed in her armies. There is not the same access to her markets. She has difficulty in exporting her goods, and in addition to that her purchases abroad are enormously increased in consequence of the war. Russia, therefore, 
has special difficulty in the matter of financing outside purchases for the war. Those are some of the difficulties with which we were confronted. France has also special difficulties. I am not sure that we quite realize the strain put upon that gallant country cheers up to the present moment. For the moment she bears far and away the greatest strain of the war in proportion to her resources. She has the largest proportion of her men under arms. The enemy are in occupation of parts of her richest territory. They are within 55 miles of her capital. Exactly as if we had a huge German army at Oxford. It is only a few months since the bankers of Paris could hear the sound of the enemy's guns from their counting houses. And they can hear the same sound now. Some of them. From their country houses. In those circumstances the money markets of a country are not at their very best. That has been one of the difficulties with which France has been confronted in raising vast sums of money to carry on the war and helping to finance the Allied States. There is a wonderful confidence, notwithstanding these facts, possessing the whole nation. Cheers. Nothing strikes the visitor to Paris more than that. There is a calm, a serene confidence, which is supposed to be incompatible with the temperament of the self by those who do do not know it. Laughter. There is a general assurance that the Germans have lost their tide and that now the German armies have as remote a chance of crushing France as they had of overrunning the planet Mars. Cheers. That is the feeling which pervades every class of the community, and that is reflected in the money market there. The difficulties of France in that respect are passing away, and the arrangement that has now been made in France for the purpose of raising sums of money to promote their military purposes will, I have not the faintest doubt, be crowned with the completest success. Cheers but we have a number of small states which are compelled to look to the greater countries in alliance for financial support. There is Belgium, which until recently was a very rich country, devastated, desolate, and almost entirely in the hands of the enemy, with an army and a civil government to maintain, but with no revenue. We have to see that she does not suffer cheers until the period of restoration comes to her, and compensation, cheers. Then there is Serbia. With the population of Ireland a people of peasants maintaining an army of 500.000 and fighting her third great war within two years. And fighting that with great resource, great courage, and bravery. Cheers. But she had no reserve of wealth. And now no exports with which she can purchase munitions of war outside. And she has hardly any manufacturers of her own. That is the position as far as the smaller states are concerned. There are also other states preparing for war and it is obviously our interest that they should be well equipped for that task. They can only borrow in the French and English markets, but we had our own special difficulties, and I think I ought to mention those. Two-thirds of our food supplies are purchased abroad. The enormous quantities of raw materials for our manufactures and our industries are largely absorbed in war equipment, and our ships in war transport. We cannot pay as usual in exports, freights, and services. Our savings for the moment are not what they would be in the case of peace. We cannot, therefore, pay for our imports in that way. We have to purchase abroad. We have to increase our purchases abroad for war purposes. In addition to that we have to create enormous credits to enable other countries to do the same thing. The Balance Island therefore, heavily against us for the first time. There is no danger. But in a conference of the kind we had at Paris I could not overlook the fact that it was necessary for us to exercise great vigilance in regard to our gold. These were the complex problems we had to discuss and adjust, and we had to determine how we could most effectually mobilize the financial resources of the Allies so as to be of the greatest help to the common cause. 
for the moment undoubtedly ours is still the best market in the world. An alliance in a great war to be effective needs that each country must bring all its resources, whatever they are, into the common stock. An alliance for war cannot be conducted on limited liability principles. If one country in the alliance has more trained and armed men ready with guns, rifles, and ammunition than another she must bring them all up against the common enemy, without regard to the fact that the others cannot for the moment make a similar contribution but it is equally true that the same principle applies to the country with the larger navy or the country with the greater resources in capital and credit. They must be made available to the utmost for the purpose of the alliance, whether the other countries make a similar contribution or not. That is the principle upon which the conference determined to recommend to their respective governments a mobilization of our financial resources for the war. The first practical suggestion we had to consider was the suggestion that has been debated very considerably in the press the suggestion of a joint loan. We discussed that very fully and we came to the conclusion that it was the very worst way of utilizing our resources. It would have frightened every voice and attracted none. It would have made the worst of every national credit and the best of none. Would the interest paid have been the interest upon which we could raise money? The rate at which France could have raised money? or the rate at which Russia could raise money, if we paid a high rate of interest we could never raise more money at low rates. If instead of raising L350.000.000 a few weeks ago for our own purposes we had floated a great joint loan of L1.000.000.000, the House can very well imagine what the result would have been. We decided after a good deal of discussion and reflection that each country should raise money for its own needs within its own markets in so far as their conditions allowed, but that if help were needed by any country for outside purchases then those who could best afford to render assistance for the time being should do so. There was only one exception which we decided to recommend, and that was in the case of borrowings by small states. We decided that each of the great allied countries should contribute a portion of every loan made to the small states who were either in with us now or prepared to come in later on, that the responsibility should be divided between the three countries, and that at an opportune moment a joint loan should be floated to cover the advances either already made, or to be made, to these countries outside the three great allied countries. That was the only exception we made in respect of joint loans. Up to the present very considerable advances have been made by Russia, by France, and by ourselves to other countries. It is proposed that, if there is an opportune moment on the market, these should be consolidated at some time or other into a one loan, that they should be placed upon the markets of Russia, France, and Great Britain, but that the liability shall be divided into three equal parts. With regard to Russia, we have already advanced L32.000.000 for purchases here and elsewhere outside the Russian Empire. Russia has also shipped L8.000.000 of gold to this country, so that we have established credits in this country for Russia to the extent of L40.000.000 already. France has also made advances in respect of purchases in that country. Russia estimates that she will still require to establish considerable credits for purchases made outside her own country between now and the end of the year. I am not sure for the moment that it would be desirable for me to give the exact figure, I think it would be better not, because it would give an idea of the extent to which purchases are to be made outside by Russia, but for that purpose she must borrow. The amount of her borrowing depends upon what Russia can spare of her produce to sell in outside markets and also on the access to those markets. 
if Russia is able within the course of the next few weeks or few months to export a considerable quantity of her grain, as I hope she will be, as in fact we have made arrangements that she should, cheers, then there will not be the same need to borrow for purchases either in this country or outside, because she can do her own financing to that extent. The two governments decided to raise the first L50.000.000 in equal sums on the French and British markets respectively. That will satisfy Russian requirements for a considerable time. As to further advances, the allied countries will consider when the time arrives how the money should be raised according to the position of the money markets at that time. I have said that we gave a guarantee to Russia that she need not hesitate a moment in giving her orders for any purchases which are necessary for the war on account of fear of experiencing any difficulty in the matter of raising money for payments. We confidently anticipate that by the time these first advances will have been exhausted the military position will have distinctly improved both in France and in Russia. I may say that treasury bills to the extent of L10.000.000 on the credit of Russia have been issued within the last few days. At 12 o'clock today the list closed, and the House will be very glad to hear that the amount was not merely subscribed but oversubscribed by the market, because this country is not quite as accustomed to Russian securities as France, and, therefore, it was an experiment. I think it is a very good omen for our relations, not merely during the war but for our relations with Russia after the war, that the first great loan of that kind on Russian credit in the market has been such a complete success. Now we have to consider the position of this country with regard to the possibility of our gold flooding in the event of very great credits being established in this country. The position of the three great allied countries as to gold is exceptionally strong. Russia and France have accumulated great reserves which have been barely touched so far during the war. I do not think the French reserve has been touched at all, or has been used in the slightest degree, and I think as far as the Russian reserve is concerned it has only been reduced by the transfer of L8.000.000 of gold from Russia to this country. Our accumulation of gold is larger than it has ever been in the history of this country. It has increased enormously since the commencement of the war. It is not nearly as large as that of Russia, France, or Germany. But it must be borne in mind that there is this distinction in our favor, up to the present we have had no considerable paper currency, and this is the great free market for the gold of the world. The quantity imported every year of, what shall I call it, raw gold, comes to something like L50.000.000, and here I am excluding what comes here by exchanges. The collapse of the rebellion in South Africa assures us of a large and steady supply from that country, and, therefore, there is no real need for any apprehension, but still it would not have been prudent for us to have overlooked certain possibilities. I have already pointed out some of them the diminution of exports, the increase of our imports, the absorption of our transports for war purposes, large credits established for our own and other countries, and a diminution in our savings for investments abroad. There is just a possibility that this might have the effect of inducing the export of gold to other countries. We therefore have to husband our gold and take care lest it should take wings and swarm to any other hive. We therefore made arrangements at this conference whereby, if our stock of gold were to diminish beyond a certain point that is a fairly high point the banks of France and Russia should come to our assistance. We have also made arrangements whereby France should have access to our markets for treasury bills issued in francs. We have also initiated arrangements which we hope will help to restore the exchanges in respect of bills held in this country against Russian merchants, who, 
owing to the present difficulties of exchange, cannot discharge their liabilities in this country. They are quite ready and eager to pay. They had the money to pay. But, owing to difficulties of exchange, they cannot pay bills owing in this country. We therefore propose to accept Russian treasury bills against these bills of exchange due from Russian merchants. Russia collecting the debts in rubles in her own country and giving us the treasury bills in exchange. We hope that will assist very materially in the working of the exchanges. It will be very helpful to business between the two countries. And incidentally it will be very helpful to Russia herself in raising money in her own country for the purpose of financing the war. We also received an undertaking from the Russian government in return for the advances which we were prepared to make. That Russia would facilitate the export of Russian produce of every kind that may be required by the allied countries. This, I believe, will be one of the most fruitful parts of the arrangements entered into. An arrangement has also been made about the purchases by the allied countries in the neutral countries. There was a good deal of confusion. We were all buying in practically the same countries. We were buying against each other. We were putting up prices. It ended not merely in confusion. But I am afraid in a good deal of extravagance. Because we were increasing prices against each other. It was very necessary that there should be some working arrangement that would eliminate this element of competition and enable us to company ordinate, as it were these orders. There will be less delay. There will be much more efficiency. And we shall avoid a good deal of the extravagance which was inevitable owing to the competition between the three countries. I have done my best to summarize very briefly the arrangements which have been entered into. And I would only like to say this in conclusion. After six months of negotiation by the cable and three days of conferring face to face we realized that better results were achieved by means of a few hours of business-like discussion by men anxious to come to a workable arrangement than by reams of correspondence. Misconceptions and misunderstandings were cleared away in a second which otherwise might take weeks to ferment into mischief. And it was our conclusion that these conferences might with profit to the cause of the Allies be extended to other spheres of company operation. Cheers. Britain's unsheathed sword by H. H. Esquith. England's Prime Minister stating the estimated costs of the war to Great Britain. Outlining the operations of the French and British Allied fleets in the Dardanelles. Declaring the Allies' position in retaliation for the German war is on decree against Great Britain. And reaffirming the chief terms of peace. Stated in his Guildhall speech of last November. On which alone England would consent to sheath the sword. The following speech. Delivered in the House of Commons on March 1st. 1915, by Prime Minister Asquith, is one of the most important of the war, in Committee of Supply, Mr. Asquith, who was loudly cheered on rising, moved the supplementary vote of credit of L37.000.000 to meet the expenditure on naval and military operations and other expenditure arising out of the war during the year 1914-1915, he said, the first of the two votes which appear upon the paper, the one which has just been read out provides only for the financial year now expiring, and is a supplementary vote of credit. The vote that follows is a vote of credit for the financial year 1915-1916. I think it will probably be convenient if in submitting the first vote to the committee I make a general statement covering the whole matter. I may remind the committee that on August 6th last year the House voted L100.000.000 in the first vote of credit and that on November 15th the House passed a supplementary vote of credit for L225.000.000, thus sanctioning total votes of credit for the now expiring financial year of L325.000.000. 
it has been found that this amount will not suffice for the expenditure which will have been incurred up to March 31st, and we are therefore asking for a further vote of L37.000.000 to carry on the public service to that date. If the committee assents to our proposals it will raise the total amount granted by votes of credit for the year 1914-1915 to L362.000.000. I need not say anything as to the purposes for which this vote is required, they are the same as upon the last occasion, but I ought to draw attention to a one feature in which the supplementary vote, which comes first, differs from the vote to be subsequently proposed for the services of the year 1915-1916. At the outbreak of the war the ordinary supply on a peace basis had been voted by the House, and consequently the votes of credit for the now current financial year, like those on all previous occasions were to be taken in order to provide the amounts necessary for naval and military operations in addition to the ordinary grants of Parliament. It consequently follows that the expenditure charged, or chargeable, to votes of credit for this financial year represent, broadly speaking, the difference between the expenditure of the country on a peace footing and that expenditure upon a war footing. The total on that basis, if this supplementary vote is assent to, will be L362.000.000, for reasons the validity of which the committee has recognized on previous occasions. I do not think it desirable to give the precise details of the items which make up the total, but without entering into that I may roughly apportion the expenditure, for the Army and the Navy, according to best estimates which can at present be framed. Out of the total given there will be required approximately L275.000.000, that is in addition, as I have already pointed out, to the sum voted before the war for the Army and the Navy, which amounted in the aggregate to a little over L80.000.000, that leaves and accounted for a balance of L87.000.000, of which approximately L38.000.000 represents advances for war expenditure made, or being made, to the self-governing dominions, crown colonies, and protectorates, as explained in the Treasury Minute last November, under which His Majesty's Government had undertaken to erase the loans required by the dominions to meet the heavy expenditure entailed upon them on the credit of the Imperial Exchequer. In addition to that sum of L38.000.000 there has been an advance to Belgium of L10.000.000, and to Serbia of L800.000. Further advances to these allies are under consideration, the details of which it is not possible yet to make public. The balance of, roughly, L28.000.000 is required for miscellaneous services covered by the vote of credit which have not yet been separately specified. I think the committee will be interested to know what the actual cost of the war will have been to this country as far as we can estimate on March 31st, the close of the financial year. The war will then have lasted for 240 days and the votes of credit up to that time. Assuming this vote is carried will amount to L362.000.000. It may be said, speaking generally, that the average expenditure from votes of credit will have been, roughly, L1.500.000 per day throughout the time. That, of course, is the excess due to the war over the expenditure on a peace footing, that represents the immediate charge to the taxpayers of this country for this year. But, as the committee knows, 
a portion of the expenditure consists of advances for the purpose of assisting or securing the food supplies of this country and will be recoverable in whole, or to a very large extent, in the near future. A further portion represents advances to the dominions and to other states which will be ultimately repaid. If these items are excluded from the account the average expenditure per day of the war is slightly lower, but after making full allowance for all the items which are in the nature of recoverable loans, the daily expenditure does not work out at less than L1.200.000. These figures are averages taken over the whole period from the outbreak of the war, but at the outbreak of the war, after the initial expenditure on mobilization had been incurred, the daily expenditure was considerably below the average. As many charges had not yet matured, the expenditure has risen steadily and is now well over the daily average that I have given. To that figure must be added, in order to give a complete account of the matter, something for war services other than naval or military. At the beginning of the year these charges are not likely to be very considerable, but it will probably be within the mark to say that from April I we shall be spending over L1.700.000 a day above the normal, in consequence of the war. Perhaps now I may say something which is not strictly in order on this vote, but concerns the vote of credit for the ensuing year, which amounts, as appears on the paper, to L250.000.000. The committee will at once observe an obvious distinction between the votes of credit taken for the current financial year and that which we propose to take for the ensuing year, as I have already pointed out. At the outbreak of war the ordinary supply of the year had been granted by the House, and accordingly the votes of credit for 1914-1915 were for the amounts required beyond the ordinary grants of Parliament for the cost of military and naval operations. When we came to frame the estimates for the ensuing year, 1915-1916, the Treasury was confronted with the difficulty, which amounted to an impossibility of presenting to Parliament estimates in the customary form for Navy and Army expenditure. Apart from the cost of the war, all the material circumstances have been set out in the Treasury Minute of February 5th, and in principle have been approved by the House. As the Committee will remember, the total of the estimates which we have presented for the Army and the Navy amount to only L15.000 for the Army and L17.000 for the Navy and the remainder of the cost of both these services will be provided for out of votes of credit, and the vote of credit now being proposed provides for general army and navy service in as far as specific provision is not made for them in the small estimates already presented. This vote of credit, therefore, has two features which I believe are quite unique, and without precedent. In the first place, it is the largest single vote on record in the annals of this house, and, secondly, as I have said, it provides for the ordinary as well as for the emergency expenditure of the Army and the Navy. The House may ask on what principle or basis has the sum of L250.000.000 been arrived at. Of course it is difficult, and indeed impossible, to give any exact estimate, but as regards the period, so far as we can forecast it, for which this vote is being taken, it has been thought advisable to take a sum sufficient, so far as we can judge to provide for all the expenditure which will come in course of payment up to approximately the second week in July that is to say, a little over three months, or something like 100 days of war expenditure. As regards the daily rate of expenditure I have dealt hither with the expenditure up to March 31st the War Office calculates that from the beginning of April, 1915, 
the total expenditure on army services will be at the rate of L1.500.000 per day, with a tendency to increase. The total expenditure on the Navy at the commencement of April will, it is calculated, amount to about L400.000 per day. The aggregate expenditure on the Army and the Navy services at the beginning of 1915-1916 is therefore L1.900.000 per day, with a tendency to increase, and for the purpose of our estimate the figure we have taken is a level L2.000.000 a day. On a piece footing the daily expenditure upon the Army and the Navy on the basis of the estimates approved last year was about L220.000 per day so that the difference between L2.000.000 and L220.000 represents what we estimate to be the increased expenditure due to the war during the 100 days for which we are now providing. There are other items belonging to the same category as those to which I have already referred in dealing with the supplementary vote with regard to advances to our own dominions and other states for which provision has also had to be made and the balance of the total of L250.000.000 for which we are now asking, beyond the actual estimated expenditure for the Army and the Navy, will be applied to those and kindred or emergency purposes. Before I pass from the purely monetary aspect of the matter, it may be interesting to the committee to be reminded of what has been our expenditure upon the great wars of the past, in the great war which lasted for over 20 years from 1793 to 1815. The total cost as estimated by the best authorities was L831.000.000. The Crimean War may be put down, taking everything into account, at L70.000.000. The total cost of the war charges in South Africa from 1899 to March 31, 1903 was estimated in a return presented to Parliament at L211.000.000. In presenting these two votes of credit the government are making a large pecuniary demand on the House, a demand which in itself and beyond comparison is larger than has ever been made in the House of Commons by any British minister in the whole course of our history. We make it with the full conviction that after seven months of war the country and the whole empire are every whit as determined as they were at the outset cheers if need be at the cost of all we can command both in men and in money to bring a righteous cause to a triumphant issue. Cheers. There is much to encourage and to stimulate us in what we see. Nothing has shaken and nothing can shake our faith in the unbroken spirit of Belgium. Cheers. In the undefeated heroism of indomitable Serbia in the tenacity and resource with which our two great allies, one in the west and the other in the east, hold their far-flung lines and will continue to hold them till the hour comes for an irresistible advance. Cheers! Our own dominions and our great dependency of India have sent us splendid contributions of men, a large number of whom already are at the front, and before very long, in one or another of the actual theaters of war, the whole of them will be in the fighting line. Cheers! We hear today with great gratification that the Princess Patricia's Canadian Regiment has been doing, during these last few days, most gallant and efficient service. Cheers. We have no reason to be otherwise than satisfied with the progress of recruiting here at home. Cheers. The territorial divisions now fully trained are capable I say it advisedly of confronting any troops in the world. Cheers. And the